Welcome to eBible Fellowship's Sunday Bible Study. For broadcast times in your area of these studies, visit our website at www.ebiblefellowship.com. And now it's time to begin our Sunday study with your speaker, Chris McCann. Hello and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Sunday Afternoon Bible Study. Today will be study number 21 of Jeremiah chapter 50, and we're going to be reading verse 40. Jeremiah 50, verse 40 says, As God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah and the neighbor cities thereof, saith Jehovah, so shall no man abide there, neither shall any son of man dwell therein. And uh, we're not surprised that the Lord is making reference to Sodom and Gomorrah because We know that in the Bible, Sodom and Gomorrah relate to the end of time. And as we've been studying um, Jeremiah 50 and the judgment of God upon Babylon, we've seen that it relates to the judgment, um, the final judgment of the world at, at the end. And in the New Testament, in Luke 17, God um, speaks of of the time of the end in connection with Sodom and Gomorrah. In Luke 17, verse 22, it says, And he said unto the disciples, The days will come when ye shall desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and ye shall not see it. And then further down in verse 26, And as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be also in the days of the Son of Man. They did eat, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. We know from the Bible that that day was the 17th day of the second month when Noah and his family entered into the ark and the flood came. And we also know that the 17th day of the second month identifies with May 21, 2011, because 7,000 years after the flood in the year 2011, May 21 had the identical underlying Hebrew calendar date of the 17th day of the second month as, as the very day when, um, in the time of Noah, God brought the flood and, and, and dis- began the destruction of that world. And, and so, um, Christ is talking about the end of the world, judgment day, when he refers to the flood. And then in verse 28, he says, likewise, meaning what he's going to say about Sodom is similar to or identical to what he just said about the flood of Noah's day. Likewise also, as it was in the days of Lot, they did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they builded. But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. So we can understand the Lord is telling us When we look back in history, in the book of Genesis, it's recorded at the destruction of Sodom, 
it will be um, teaching us about the end of the world. And we've spent um, a fairly good amount of time looking at the flood over the last several years and and seeing that timeline of 7,000 years and and the very day of the flood, again, the 17th day of the second month and how it locks in May 21, 2011. But we haven't really spent too much time looking at Sodom and Gomorrah and the neighbor cities. And, and so um, during this study, and, and maybe we'll do another study afterwards, but uh, during this study, we're going to try to get a better understanding of what the Bible has to say about Sodom and Gomorrah. And uh, we'll, we'll begin by going uh, back to the book of Genesis. In Genesis chapter 10, we find the first mention of um, Sodom and Gomorrah in Genesis 10, in verse 19. And the border of the Canaanites was from Sidon, as thou comest to Gerar, unto Gaza, as thou goest, unto Sodom and Gomorrah, and Adma and Zeboam, even unto Laasha. That's the first time Sodom and Gomorrah is mentioned uh, in the Bible. It's mentioned again in Genesis chapter 13. And at this point, Abram and Lot, who are related, are dwelling together, but their herdmen begin to strive. And, and so Abram uh, comes up with the idea that it's it's good for them to separate. And he allows Lot to make the choice in, in which way he will go and and where he will dwell. And then it says in verse 10 of Genesis 13, And Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before Jehovah destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of Jehovah, like the land of Egypt, as thou comest unto Soar. Then Lot chose him all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated themselves, the one from the other. Abram dwelled in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelled in the cities of the plain, and pitched his tent towards Sodom. But the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before Jehovah exceedingly. Well, this gives us some information about the location of Sodom and Gomorrah. It was in the plain of Jordan. And even after Sodom and Gomorrah and, and the neighbor city's destruction, the, the plain of Jordan is referred to occasionally in the Bible. And, and so, um, people would have known exactly where that was. For instance, in Deuteronomy 34, when the Lord was showing Moses the promised land, and and then said to him he would not go over, but but before he died, God did show it to him. It says in verse 1 of Deuteronomy 34, And Moses went up from the plains of Moab unto the mountain of Nebo, to the top of Pisgah, that is over against Jericho. And Jehovah showed him all the land of Gilead unto Dan, and all Naphtali, and the land of Ephraim, and Manasseh, 
and all the land of Judah unto the utmost sea, and the south, and the plain of the valley of Jericho, the city of palm trees unto Zoar. Now, uh, if, if you caught, uh, as we were reading in Genesis 13, it said that the plain of Jordan was well watered everywhere, even as the garden of Jehovah, like the land of Egypt, as thou comest unto Zoar. And that means the reference in Deuteronomy 34.3 to a plain uh, unto Zoar is more than likely this same plain. Now, the plain of Jordan is only mentioned a couple of times that I could find in the Bible. We'll just read one place in Second Chronicles 4. We, uh, we read of Horam, who made... Uh, many of the vessels for Solomon, for the house of the Lord. And it says um, in verse 14, He made also bases and lavers made he upon the bases, one sea and twelve oxen under it, the pots also and the shovels and the flesh hooks and all their instruments did Horam his father make to King Solomon for the house of Jehovah of bright brass. In the plain of Jordan did the king cast them in the clay ground between Sukkoth and uh, Zeredatha. Well, um, that's interesting that these vessels for the house of God were cast in the plain of Jordan from the clay ground. And, of course, that that ground would be the ground... um, that was scorched by the fire and brimstone in the days of Lot when the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah and the neighbor cities. Um, but but anyway, that um, I just wanted to read that so we get an idea that this location uh, is is known. It, it's not like the Garden of Eden. We uh, we don't know where the Garden of Eden was, but we do know that. Sodom and Gomorrah and the, and the uh, other cities that were destroyed were in the plain of Jordan, which was nearby Israel. It, it was part of the promised land, as it was shown to, to Moses. In Genesis 14, we read of a war that, that takes place between four kings and five. And... Um, Lot is going to be taken captive uh, in in the war. And then Abram will hear about that and arm his trained servants and, and go to battle with 322 men in total to uh, recover Lot and other prisoners and goods and, and return them to uh, the, the king's. And uh, it's interesting that the number 322, uh, if broken down, breaks down to 2 times 7 times 23. And we're not going to look at um, too much related to this battle, but let's read the first three verses of Genesis 14. And it says in verse 1, And it came to pass in the days of Amraphel, king of Shinar, Arioch, king of Elisar, Shedolamimer, king of Elam, and Tidal, king of nations, 
that these made war with Bera, king of Sodom, and with Bersha, king of Gomorrah, Shinab, king of Adma, and Shemeber, king of Zeboam, and the king of Bela, which is Zoar. And so there's four kings listed in verse 1 that made war with five kings listed in verse 2. Now, uh, it's interesting in verse 1, we, we read of a king of Shinar and a king of Elam, and both Shinar and Elam would be identified with Babylon. The uh, palace of the king was in Shushan, which was a province of Elam, we read in Daniel 8, 1 and 2. And uh, Shinar, um, we, we read of in Daniel chapter 1, the first couple of verses, is where the house of the Babylonian gods was located. And, and so uh, we can understand this army uh, made up of four kings somehow relates to an early form of Babylon, and Babylon really uh, came into existence back at the Tower of Babel. And as Babylon comes from that word Babel. And so I think Babylon relates to uh, the nations. The, and, and we do have here in Genesis 14, 1 title, King of Nations. And, and so with that title given to this king... We can see how he is representative of the world. Just as we've learned that uh, Babylon and, and the king of Babylon, Satan, is a picture of the nations of the world, the Gentiles, the unsaved inhabitants of the earth spiritually. Well, anyway, these four kings come against five. And what's interesting is that there is Sodom, Gomorrah, Adma, Zeboam, and Bela mentioned. And when God destroys the cities of the plain, he's going to destroy four of these cities. He's going to destroy Sodom, Gomorrah, Adma, and Zeboam. And that'll be uh, a little later on, but we read in Deuteronomy chapter 29... In Deuteronomy 29 and verse 21, I'll start reading there. And Jehovah shall separate him unto evil out of all the tribes of Israel, according to all the curses of the covenant that are written in this book of the law, so that the generation to come of your children that shall rise up after you, and the stranger that shall come from a far land shall say, when they see the plagues of that land and the sicknesses which Jehovah has laid upon it, and that the whole land thereof is brimstone and salt and burning, that it is not sown, nor beareth, nor any grass groweth therein, like the overthrow of Sodom and Gomorrah, Adma and Zeboam, which Jehovah overthrew in his anger and in his wrath. Even all nations shall say, Wherefore has Jehovah done thus unto this land? What meaneth the heat of this great anger? Then men shall say, Because they have forsaken the covenant of Jehovah God of their fathers, which he made with them, 
when he brought them forth out of the land of Egypt. Now, uh, I wanted to read this for a couple of reasons. One is that even though Luke 17 identifies the destruction of Sodom with the end of the world, along with the flood, there is also a good amount of language in the Bible that relates Sodom and the destruction of Sodom to the church, to Israel of old, or to the New Testament church, as we read in Revelation 11, when the two witnesses are killed and their bodies are lying in the street of that great city, which spiritually is called Egypt and Sodom. And uh, that's reference to Sodom and Gomorrah, and that God will... Um, do to the church what he did to Sodom. And, and here in Deuteronomy 29, uh, that it, it's very clearly related one to the other. That Israel will, will become a land of brimstone and salt and burning. And that is, uh, pointing to the, what will happen to the New Testament churches at the time of the end when judgment begins upon the house of God. Well, how can Sodom be both a picture of the judgment on the church and the judgment on the world. It's just how God is using it, and we have to determine by the context which one is in view. Is God speaking of the judgment on the church or the judgment on the world? And and, and so we'll, we'll be careful to do that uh, as we go along, but it it's also good for us to remember that the judgment on the church begins the final judgment process and the church receives the cup of the wrath of God and then God takes the same cup, the identical cup, and gives it to the nations of the world. So uh, we we can understand when God is speaking of fire and brimstone um being poured out upon Israel and, and Israel suffering the consequences, that this is what fire and brimstone accomplishes. This is the result. Uh, for instance, in verse 23 of Deuteronomy 29, and that the whole land thereof is brimstone and salt and burning, that it is not sown nor beareth, nor any grass groweth therein, like the overthrow of Sodom and Gomorrah and Adma and Zeboam, which Jehovah overthrew in his anger. So, the uh, pouring out of fire and brimstone will result in a ground uh, in in fields that cannot be sown. And that cannot produce any grass, that that cannot bring forth any fruit. It will not bear. It, you you can't sow the ground and expect to harvest a crop. It's done. It it is destroyed. There there is um, no fruit that's going to come forth from the ground that that has been. Uh, scorched by fire and brimstone falling from heaven. And that's important because God speaks of fire and brimstone falling or, or being poured out in the day of judgment 
in Revelation 14, he says in verse 10, The same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation, and he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And we we know the word tormented is not as it appears or as you might think when you read it, as we, we think of uh, maybe before we started carefully, more carefully reading the Bible and looking into God's final judgment of mankind and seeing that it has nothing to do with a place called hell, but actually it, it is ultimately annihilation and references to torment, which previously we would have just associated with uh, individuals suffering forevermore in that place called hell. Now we understand, no, it cannot take place there because there there is no hell. It's a condition. It's not a place. And so we look more carefully into that word, and we saw it's a word that identifies with uh, individuals that toil in rowing or or uh, other words that have nothing to do with being tortured, but but where there is frustration and and um, there there is um, difficulty and those kinds of things that that produce torment in a sense. And here God is saying that uh, in the day of judgment He will pour out into the cup of His wrath. Uh, fury that will torment others with fire and brimstone, and this will be done in the presence of the holy messengers, the true believers, and in the presence of the Lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's exactly what's happening now. God is spiritually giving the cup of his wrath to the unsafe people of the earth. They are being tormented as we also uh, read in Revelation 9 that for the period of five months that uh, is a figurative period of time representing the entire um, judgment day, the prolonged period of judgment day. And so they're, they're being tormented with fire and brimstone in the day of judgment. But uh, just so we don't miss it, in Psalm 11... God uh, gives us these these verses to help us understand fire and brimstone. Psalm 11, verse 5, Jehovah trieth the righteous, but the wicked and him that loveth violence his soul hateth. Upon the wicked he shall rain snares, fire and brimstone, and a horrible tempest. This shall be the portion of their cup the cup of wrath. And no doubt it's speaking of judgment day when God pours out his wrath into that cup of indignation. Here you go to um, all the unsaved inhabitants of the earth. You must now drink. Uh, I, I brought judgment on the people called by my name and they drank of the cup. And, and now it is time to uh, move on from them. The day of transition 
came on May 21, 2011, and to now give the nations the cup, and and will you go utterly unpunished if if I first gave the cup to the people who uh, are identified with me and my kingdom, to those in the churches, you will surely not go unpunished. But you will drink of the cup, God points out in Jeremiah chapter 25. There will be no escape from the drinking of the cup of his wrath. And what is poured out upon the wicked, he shall rain snares, fire and brimstone, and a horrible tempest. This shall be the portion of their cup. Snares, fire and brimstone. Now, maybe you think that God will literally pour out fire and brimstone on the last day and and destroy the wicked. Well, this verse is here to help that kind of thinking, to correct that kind of thinking, because if fire and brimstone is literal, then then so would snares be literal. And and think about that. Is God going to rain down from heaven snares, that is, traps or cages that would be used to catch animals? Are they going to fall from the sky along with the fire and brimstone? No. Obviously, no. It It's figurative language. And we know on Judgment Day, it comes as a snare upon all the inhabitants of the earth, according to Luke 21, verses 34 through 36. And and so God rains down snares, fire, and brimstone. The fire and brimstone is an expression. It's parabolic language to describe the wrath of God, the anger of God, and also to get us to look to Sodom and Gomorrah and, and the neighbor cities and and how God destroyed them. He destroyed them with fire and brimstone. And so that's the Bible's way of directing us to learn more about Sodom and Gomorrah. Well, we we saw that um, four cities were mentioned in uh, Deuteronomy 29 and uh, in a couple of other places we we uh, know that four cities were destroyed, Sodom, Gomorrah, Adma, and Zeboam. But where is the mention of Bela or Zoar? Why uh, in Genesis 14, there was four city, four kings that came against five, and those four cities of the plain were mentioned along with Bela or Zoar. And, and by the way, Often in the Bible, when when God is speaking of Sodom and Gomorrah, He'll He'll join those two together, and and He won't mention Adma or Zeboam as being destroyed. He'll He'll just refer to the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah because those are the two main cities, and um, I guess it's shorthand in a sense. We're, we're not to think only those two cities were destroyed because the Lord tells us elsewhere, uh, as we read, that there were four cities actually that were destroyed. But in one place, uh, he tells us of Adma and Zeboam in Hosea chapter 11. And Hosea is, 
the little book, even though it has 14 chapters, but they're very short chapters. Um, Hosea comes after Daniel, Hosea 11, and verse 8. It says, How shall I give thee up, Ephraim? How shall I deliver thee, Israel? How shall I make thee as Adma? How shall I set thee as a boom? Mine heart is turned within me. My repentings are kindled together. And this is interesting because God here is um, speaking of judging Israel again. And, and rather than than warning them they will be like Sodom and Gomorrah, he says, how shall he make them as Adma and Zeboam? And that's unusual. It, it's rare that God refers to Adma and Zeboam rather than Sodom and Gomorrah. The um, vast majority of time, the reference is to Sodom and Gomorrah. But, but again, there were five cities, five cities of the plain, and one is not uh, destroyed. Well, the reason for this we find in Genesis 19. Let's go to Genesis 19, and that's the chapter where we read of Sodom's destruction. And I'll start reading in verse 17. And it came to pass, when they had brought them forth abroad, that he said, Escape for thy life, look not behind thee, neither stay thou in all the plain. Now we can understand why uh, God is is telling Lot not to stay in the plain, because these were the cities of the plain, the plain of Jordan. Uh, you, you have to get out of there. God's going to destroy all the cities of the plain. That That is, uh, initially it was God's intent to destroy um, Bela or Zoar also. And, and so it goes on in verse 17, Escape to the mountain, lest thou be consumed. And Lot said unto them, Oh, not so, my Lord. Behold now, thy servant has found grace in thy sight, and thou hast magnified thy mercy, which thou hast showed unto me in saving my life, and I cannot escape to the mountain, lest some evil take me and I die. Behold now, this city is near to flee unto, and it is a little one. Oh, let me escape thither. Is it not a little one? And my soul shall live. And he said unto him, See, I have accepted thee concerning this thing also, that I will not overthrow this city, for the which thou hast spoken. Haste thee, escape thither, for I cannot do anything till thou become thither. Therefore the name of the city was called Zoar. So, uh, Lot, is pleading with the Lord. Uh, he he does not want to go to the mountain, but he pleads for a little city. Uh, allow me, O God, to escape to this little city. Now you have um, some people that I, uh, they would have to be prejudicial uh, in in this regard. They try to relate Zoar to fellowships. They they insert the idea of, of fellowships and identify it with Zoar uh, because um, I think they they just are uncomfortable with the idea of fellowships or or for whatever reason they don't like fellowship groups that have um, 
been permitted by God in these days at the end of the church age when he commanded his people to come out of the churches. God did not specify uh, that we form fellowships and and there is no command that we do gather together to form fellowships. That's true. But there's no command against it. God commands against um, having a church, forming a church, being a part of a church. You had better get out of a church. But he does not say anything against two or three or ten or fifty people gathering together on the Lord's Day around the Bible without any authority um, which would identify with a church, but just gathering together to to fellowship with him through his word. Well, the Bible has nothing to say against it, and yet uh, some people, uh, because they don't like it for whatever reason, they have made a law, and they, and really, they're making themselves holier than God, because God hasn't made this law. They've made a law saying we're not to have fellowships today, that that it's just the individual at home, and with our Bible, and of course, if if they gather with three or four people around the Bible at any point at all, and have a little Bible study, they've broken their own law, but but nonetheless, they establish this law and they point to Zoar and they say, there it is, Lot should have gone to the mountain, but instead he went to Zoar and, and, and it, it's looking at those that should have come out of the church and fled to the mountain and yet they've, they've developed fellowships. Now, how you get a fellowship from Zoar, you, you can you can look at our present situation today, and we do know God commands to leave the church and flee to the mountains, and and take that idea, and and then basically uh, assign Zoar the spiritual meaning of fellowship. But you didn't get that from the Bible; you got that out of your own mind and your own thinking. In order to get something from the Bible, you'd have to uh, search out the word Zoar or Bella and and see how it identifies with a fellowship group. And then you could say, well, now Zoar represents a fellowship, but it doesn't identify with a fellowship group. What does Zoar identify with? It identifies with a little city. Is it not a little one? And... It's also a place that becomes a city of refuge. It becomes a city that is delivered from the fire and the brimstone. Everyone that was in the city Zoar lived. And, and God did not destroy Zoar. So it, it, it really becomes clear that Zoar represents the city of God or it represents the elect city, those where the people of God, uh, like Lot, may go and be safe. Now, we, we read in Ecclesiastes chapter 9, and uh, although this is a different Hebrew word, it's presenting a similar idea. In Hebrews 9, it says in verse 13, This wisdom have I seen also under the sun. 
and it seemed great unto me. There was a little city, and few men within it. And there came a great king against it, and besieged it, and built great bulwarks against it. Now there was found in it a poor wise man, and he by his wisdom delivered the city. Yet no man remembered that same poor man. Now here the the poor wise man would be the Lord Jesus Christ, through wisdom delivers this little city, and and to be delivered means you're saved, you're you're not destroyed, as the enemy and and that great king that came against and besieged was attempting to destroy it, but the poor wise man delivered the little city, and and that little city becomes a type and figure of the elect, and it's a little city because we're only a remnant out of the whole, out of a world of billions. God saves a certain number, perhaps as many as 200 million, but that's a tiny remnant out of all of those that have ever lived. And, and, and so Lot is making intercession for the city. And we, we could understand Lot, therefore, to be a picture in some, some ways of the Lord Jesus Christ. And um, th- that may be why he is called Righteous Lot. And Lot could be not only a picture of Christ who prays for the city Zoar, and, and God hears his prayer. Uh, remember in verse 21, See, I have accepted thee concerning this thing also, that I will not overthrow this city for the which thou hast spoken. And, and so Lot prays for the, the city Zoar and Zoar is spared. The fervent prayer of a righteous man, as we read in the epistle of James, avails much. And, and the Lord Jesus Christ is the righteous one. Well, Lot is righteous Lot who prays for Zoar. And, and Lot is also a figure of the body of Christ, all those that escape the destruction of Sodom and are able to flee to a city of refuge, a city that is spared, is a city that itself is not overthrown. And now what's what's interesting is that Zoar is right there in the plain. It, it's in the plain of Jordan along with those other cities. And, and so those other cities were destroyed by fire and brimstone and, and Lot and his two daughters. And at this point, perhaps his wife, uh, I, I think it is correct that his wife was with him at this point as they all enter into Zoar. And let, let's see in verse, uh, 22, haste they escape thither for I cannot do anything till thou become thither. Therefore, the name of the city was called Zoar. The sun was risen upon the earth when Lot entered into Zoar. Then Jehovah rained upon Sodom and upon Gomorrah, brimstone and fire from Jehovah out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the plain and all the inhabitants of the cities and that which grew upon the ground. 
But his wife looked back from behind him, and she became a pillar of salt. Uh, yes, that's how it happened. They all, the family of Lot, entered into Zoar, and once Lot entered into Zoar, since he represents the elect, and Zoar, the, the safe city, it, sort of the, the city of God, once Lot, typifying all of God's elect, the last one to be saved, goes into Zoar, now God has completed his salvation program, as, as we would relate this to the time of the end. He has saved the last one whose name was found in the Lamb's Book of Life. And at this point, God may now bring the judgment. He may now shut the door of heaven. He may now put out the gospel lights. He may now pour fire and brimstone from heaven and rain it upon the inhabitants of the earth. And and so verse 24 tells us then... Only then, after Lot was safely into Zoar, that little city, typifying again um, salvation, then Jehovah rained upon Sodom and upon Gomorrah brimstone and fire from Jehovah out of heaven, and he overthrew those cities and all the plain. But where was Lot and his family? They were in the plain. They were there. In, in the very midst of it, they, they were not, um, escaped to a mountain far away, but they were right in the midst of the destruction and they were so close that Lot's wife looked back once the fire and brimstone started to fall towards Sodom because she could see it taking place. And, and so, uh, this helps us to understand, I think, the illustration, the historical parable that God is giving us, the picture that he's painting, is that his elect were right there. They, they were safe and protected within the city of Zoar, but they were right there in the plain. The place that the fire and brimstone was falling was in all the plain. And so it must have been falling all around them. But it did not come against them. It did not harm them. And, and it's only, uh, when, when Lot's wife looked back that, that she was harmed, but she turned into a pillar of salt. It's not that the fire and brimstone itself fell on her, but well, we, we can see how that would relate. We'll maybe save that for another time to people that have, um, in a sense, were delivered out of the world on May 21, 2011, the beginning of Judgment Day, because they believed the Bible at that point intellectually and, and maybe uh, through a profession, if you would ask them, do you believe May 21's Judgment Day, do you believe this doctrine and that doctrine that God has opened up? Oh, yes, I believe. I believe. Oh, wholeheartedly, I believe. And then on May 22nd, do you believe? No, I don't believe. And, and, um, I, I feel 
awful and and terrible and about this whole thing and and or sometime soon after they they go back they they turn back from uh, as we we also read in Hebrews 10 recently the just um we believe these things by faith and uh, well I, I better read I can't remember exactly in Hebrews 10 um verse 38 now the just shall live by faith but if any man draw back my soul shall have no pleasure in him and many souls have drawn back to the world to the church to former doctrines and God has no pleasure in them and it's an indication they were never saved to begin with like Lot's wife she she went along she she was perhaps an obedient wife and and she trusted her husband maybe or or the situation just called for it to to get out but she had she had these nagging thoughts and was of a double mind and finally it was revealed when she looked back and God destroyed her but but anyway here we see that God uses the word overthrow repeatedly concerning Sodom and Gomorrah uh, again in verse 25 of Genesis 19 and he overthrew those cities and all the plain and all the inhabitants of the cities and that which grew upon the ground just as in Deuteronomy 29 verse 23 you you can't sow any longer on that ground and no grass will grow it won't bear no fruit will be able to be produced and that relates to the sowing of the seed of the gospel as Christ gave that parable of the sower you you sow the seed well not on ground that that is uh burnt with fire and brimstone you don't. You you cannot sow on that kind of ground. And nothing will grow on that kind of ground. That's why you don't bother sowing the seed. And on uh, May 21, 2011, God brought judgment on the world. He began raining down snares, fire and brimstone upon the people of the earth. And what else did we learn? At that point, and we've, we've had it confirmed numerous times since in this period of judgment day. We've learned that God has completed his salvation program. We are not to sow the seed of the gospel upon the hearts of men any longer with the hope that they might hear and become saved. Why not? Because of the fire and brimstone that the Lord is pouring out upon the whole earth. The whole earth is burnt ground and, and you're not to sow. It's a useless endeavor. It's a vain thing. It's an empty thing. It's a waste of time to sow the gospel seed. And, and I know this is hard for some people and I hope that there's still maybe um, some true believers, I'm sure there are, but for whatever reason, they they have it stuck in their mind. Oh, it's faithful! It's faithful to sow the gospel with the hope that people become saved, and and therefore it's unfaithful to think that we're not to do that. Well, that's correct for the day of salvation. That is exactly 
how we thought and should think for the day of salvation. That is wrong. It is incorrect. It is unfaithful thinking to think I must sow the gospel in the day of judgment. That is going contrary to the Bible. Now, you know, we we have to talk plainly. We have to talk straight about these things. And and maybe you've been listening to e-bible and and you have to know you are being unfaithful. You are being unbiblical. You are going contrary to the will of God at this point in his program of times and seasons because the season has changed. We have gone from a day of salvation in which we do go forth and we do, or we, we, at that time, we did beseech people, oh, won't you, won't you cry out for mercy? Won't you seek the Lord while he might be found? Won't you go to God that perhaps he might have mercy upon you and save you? That was for a particular time And God lays out the times and seasons, not man. It's not our determination. We don't say, well, um, today is, is a day of salvation and, and the next day is not. We don't make that kind of judgment. But from the Bible, as God has opened up this information at the time of the end, He has revealed the, the set periods of time. And so we knew We have to get the gospel out. There was that great urgency because the door is going to shut on on that date of May 21, 2011. And God did shut the door. And now he's pouring out his wrath, spiritual fire and brimstone, and and there is no more sowing. There is no more um, growing of the grass, no more bearing of fruit from the ground. It, it it cannot be. It is an impossibility because of the wrath of God. And when anyone, when anyone at, at this point in time, now in the day of judgment, is trying to uh, find language in the Bible that has to do with salvation, of course, obviously, you'll find much language and to apply it to now, they are misapplying it because that language had to do with the day of salvation itself, which has come to a close. And and I'm sorry, but the truth is that if you are trying to share the gospel with the hope that people will still hear and become saved, you are in the identical position of those in the churches. They tell their congregations that God is with us. God is still saving here in this place at this time. There is no difference between um, this time period and 20 years ago or 30 years or 100 years ago. God is still saving. And now, if you're a child of God, you know that is not true. You know that God has left. His Spirit has departed from the church. And there can be no salvation within the church. 
and they're speaking a lie. Is it a good thing for the pastor or the elder? Is it is it a loving thing? Is it a caring thing that despite the fact that God has left and there cannot be any salvation, they continue to tell their their church membership that you can be saved. That that uh look, here's the gospel, the plain gospel. Here here's how God lays it out in the Bible and encourage their their members to seek the Lord in salvation. Is that a good thing? No. No, it's not. It's a deceitful thing and therefore an ugly, sinful thing that they they tell their congregation lies. They promise life and they they cannot follow through. There is no life. There is death in the church. There There is no hope for those in the churches and congregations with their gospel because God ended his salvation in the church. Well, if you can clearly see the error of those in the church who who preach and teach to their flock and their congregation things that are untrue regarding salvation, then take a look in the mirror at your own self because you are following the pattern that they set. You are doing the same thing. You are now telling lies to the world and telling the world, oh yes, go to God and and he'll have mercy. He's a merciful God. Go to the Lord. Maybe you'll be saved. And 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 you're telling people lies, giving false hope and false assurance because judgment day has come and there is no more salvation. You cannot sow the seed upon this type of ground, the ground that we have that is burnt. It's it's like smoldering ashes. It is fire and brimstone falling from heaven. You can't find a spot in all the world that is not covered by fire and brimstone. Thanks for joining us for eBible Fellowship Sunday Bible Study. For more information or to hear additional Bible studies, be sure to visit our website at www.ebiblefellowship.com.